Good morning, church. It's hard to follow up from that, but I'll be reading the, the scripture today. Um, my name is Clarence, and we will be reading today's scripture from Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12. Um, please follow along in your own Bibles or in, or in the screen above. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that they have not been heard they understand. In chapter 53, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord has been, been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken spitten my God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the, out of the land of the living, stricken, from the transgression, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, be see, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, everyone. And um, I realize that when once a long passage is read, everyone's probably wondering, like, Oh, man, I hope I don't have to read a long passage when it's my turn to read. But um, just letting you know, that's the reading of Scripture is, is the point of our service where <clears throat> it is the most perfect time. Uh, it is the reading of God's Word. So I hope that that was a blessing time for you as well. Uh, for those uh, that are new or visiting for the first time, my name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor here, and I had the privilege to be able to share with us um, our sermon today, and uh, I know we were just able to watch uh, just uh, just really cute kids perform, and um, it's, it's awesome to see even at that young age, like you can see their personalities come out, you know, like you, you see who, who the ones are going to be hanging out and like 
K-Town and, and, and doing their thing and, you know, and, and those that are going to be, uh, you know, staying in the dorm studying. But um, it's, it's great to see just the, the kids grow up as well. Just, you know, some of them were just like newborns when, you know, and now they're already up here on stage. Um, well, it, you know, it's, there's a quote by Winston Churchill. It says, it is not enough to have lived. We should be determined to live for something. Uh, and these famous words from the former prime minister of England uh, captures the thought that most people uh, have that were at least born in the last century, right? The idea of living for a specific purpose or living for uh, a life of meaning and, and spending our time and energy searching for that purpose is, is rather a new thought, a new phenomenon. A um, hundred years ago, most people were not asking this question because people didn't live uh, or didn't have the options or the opportunities that we have in our day. Uh, you know, if you were 100 years ago, if you were born into a family of blacksmiths, uh, most likely you were going to be a blacksmith. Unless you were born a girl, then you're going to marry somebody. You know, there's, there were really no options. Uh, even besides that, uh, the idea of, of not growing up or not living in the area that you were born in was not something that you had the option of. Uh, be, because of the uh, technology of travel and all that has occurred, now we have the opportunity to make a name for ourselves somewhere, right? This idea of someone from the Midwest moving out to L.A. or Hollywood or New York uh, to make, make something of themselves is, is something that was not available to us 100 years ago. And this growing focus on individualism that we have in our culture and the thought uh, and, and this idea that we've all bought into of this idea of self-actualization, that unless we are able to reach our full potential in life, that life is meaningless. Or that unless we are able to really reach the full potential of our life, that we are not really uh, you know, living up to, to what we are called to be. Right? This, this, this idea that we are supposed to do something great with our lives or, or to make a name for ourselves or, or to, to make a mark here in this world is something that uh, many of us have bought into. Right? And this, the root of, that, of all of that is this desire where we want to find a purpose in life. And for many of us, we find that purpose or we, we you know, kind of put that purpose into our careers. Uh, some of us put that into our family. Some of us put that into uh, our ministry and our church. And, and it's, it's something that in t throughout our entire culture, we're really fascinated by. Maybe even overly uh, um, just kind of bought into uh, you know, there's a reason why The Purpose Driven Life is a book uh, that has sold 35 million copies. Uh, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for over 90 weeks. And it's, a, and it's a Christian book. You know, like people don't like Christian books. But yet, this idea of finding our purpose is something that we're all seeking after. And the reason why we search for purpose with such vigor is because the absence of purpose in our lives can be a very agonizing feeling. The feeling of wasting away the precious time that we have on this earth can make mo many of us filled with anxiety. And, and then we begin comparing ourselves with the people around us, and it can almost feel like everyone around us knows exactly what they're living for, and yet here we are kind of searching and seeking and wondering, are we living according to the purpose that God has called us to? So today we're going to look at the prophecy of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, which is, you know, predicts his death and his suffering. Uh, and we're going to kind of glean from this passage uh, how, what it means for us to be able to endure this life while suffering and pain is inevitable, even in the midst of us living according to the purpose that God has called us to. So number one, we're talking about the longing for purpose that every one of us has, right? Growing up as an immigrant, I felt the burden and responsibility 
to make something of myself. Otherwise, I felt that the sacrifice my parents made was for nothing. Right? Thinking back about my childhood, I realized there was an enormous amount of pressure, both externally and internally, right? this idea that if I did not succeed here in this new country, then what did my parents move here for? Why did they leave their friends and their family? Why did they uh, enter into a new country where they did not understand the culture, where they did not speak the language, where they really gave up everything that was familiar to them for the, the possibility and the idea that, they, that their children would have greater opportunities? Right, so in, in their limited knowledge, uh, what they thought was a successful life was that I would become a doctor or a lawyer. And that's something that I've totally bought into. I don't, and I don't know why it was those, those, two, those two jobs, right? Just doctor or lawyer. No other, op, no other options. You know, doctor or lawyer. And, and then growing up, I, I realized, oh, I don't think I can be a doctor, maybe a lawyer. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, I want to be a politician because they, they have a lot of power and influence, right? And I feel like I could have been a really good politician but uh, I would be evil. So th that was a trade-off, right? Um, and, and then, you know, later on in high school, I started watching TV, and I started watching The Animal Planet, and I, I was introduced to the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, and I thought, this is my calling in life, right? He, he, was, he was amazing. I, I loved animals. I loved TV, and I was like, what a perfect marriage between the two of my greatest joys in life, animals and TV. And so when I started college, I, I became a, a marine biology major and zoology major. And I thought, I'm going to uh, you know, study animals and have my own TV show on Animal Planet. And I thought that was my purpose. And, and, but the older I am getting, I'm realizing, and especially for many of us, maybe perhaps you are realizing this as well, is that we do not just have one singular purpose in life. Even though oftentimes we, we are searching for this one significant thing that we feel that we are called to in life, the reality is, is that we live through seasons of different callings and purposes. What's difficult is the transition between those purposes and between those seasons. Figuring out, well, what is it that God is calling me towards at this specific time? And there's a reason why we are wired to long for meaning and purpose in life is because we are created in the image of God, and God is not a God that is idle. He has a purpose. He had a purpose in creating us. He had a purpose in sending his son down to earth. And this is why the Bible is such an important resource for us, because the Bible may not explain how everything in this world came to be or how everything in this world works, it is not a science textbook, right? But it, but it does answer the question of why. Why were we put on this earth? What is the purpose of our life? And how can we best live our lives to make it matter? But one of the things that I think is very important for us to be able to understand this purpose is to make sure that we do not compare ourselves to Jesus the Messiah. What we see from this passage that we read is that Jesus had a singular purpose in this life. He had a mission is to come into this world to die and suffer at the hands of his own creation so that we may have salvation and eternal life. See, the, the pericope of this passage starts in chapter 52, verse 13, and it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. And if you read the context of this entire passage, you wonder, oh, what does this actually mean? We all know that Jesus is wise. He's, he's wise beyond anything in this earth, but is that exactly what this passage is talking about? Um, and I will say no. It, according to the context, and if we look at exactly what the author is talking about, the word wisely uh, is better translated uh, to act out on purpose. 
So it's not, this passage is not saying that Jesus will be a wise man, even though he is. It is saying that he will both know and act according to, a, to, to the purpose in which he has been called. That he would understand that he would live his life to fulfill the very purpose that God has given him when he sent him down to this earth. Now, Jesus has a singular purpose. His purpose was to come to live a life without sin in perfect obedience, to suffer at the hands of his creation, to die on the cross, to resurrect from the dead so that all who place their faith in him would be able to share in that resurrection, to share in that eternal life. For us, that is not the case. We do not have a singular purpose in life. And when we are unable to find that singular purpose, we start getting anxious, and, and, and we get filled with anxiety. And I think that's the issue and problem that many of us face. We look at the people around us, and we look at the stories and, and the successes of, of young entrepreneurs or, or tech giants, and we think they know their purpose in life. And we question ourselves and ask, what is our purpose? But if you look back throughout your life, we see that there's different seasons of our purpose. When you're in high school, what was your purpose at the time? To have fun and get into a good college. Right? You, get into, you get into college, what is your purpose at that time? Just to live life, develop life skills, and, and, and figure out what your major is going to be. And, and then we think once we graduate college, then we'll have it all figured out. But many of the people that I would talk to uh, that are recent college grads that are working here in the tech industry, they started asking me, like, what, what, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I really supposed to spend the next 40 years of my life just developing code and typing away at a computer? I'm like, ah, you know, you know like, I, actually, sorry, that was really, I don't know what you guys do. You guys probably do other things, right? But that's how I imagine most of you guys at work, you know, ah, you know like this. Um, and that could be a good purpose. But we, we, what we think about is the fact that when we don't feel that the calling of our lives is fulfilling us, or when we start feeling that there's suffering or trials or pain that come into that, that purpose, we begin to question it. And we wonder, is this what we're actually supposed to do? And when I was a little younger, when I first came to the Bay Area, uh, I, I believed that I, I knew what my, the purpose in my life was, was to come to the Bay Area and start a church. So the first three years of, of that time here, when I first came up, it was just easy for me to head towards that goal and that vision. Right, to, to work, to, to you know, prepare a church and to start a church and to work with people and, and casting that vision. And as I get older, um, I realize, man, is that, what I, is that really my purpose? And when you start questioning that purpose, you start getting filled with anxiety. Right? And, and for me, and I've shared that, you know, the, the, the burnout that I've been feeling lately, and, and I realize that with this existential crisis, this, this, this feeling of, am I really living the life that God is calling me towards? Or am I really living a life that is meaningful? I became filled with anxiety, right? I became more antisocial. Uh, my sleep was affected. I, I started becoming more indecisive over decisions, and, 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 I, and I didn't know how to kind of overcome this, this emotion that I was going through. And perhaps these are things that you are feeling right now. Maybe perhaps in your career you're questioning it. Maybe even in your, in your relationships or in your marriage or, or as your kids are going off to high school or college and you're like, what, you know, like being an, like I, I, I'm already dreading being an empty nester, you know, like because I'm looking at my kids and they're getting older and then I see some of our church members and my friends and, and different family who are, have like, you know, children that are in their, in their high school going off to college and I'm like, what is my purpose going to be when they leave home? 
right? What, what am I gonna do with all that free time? What am I gonna do with all that money? You know, like you, you start questioning stuff, right? And I think the important thing for us to understand is that we are not called to a singular purpose in life. We are not. So the moment we think and we place all of our hopes into our career or into our parenthood or into our, our children or into a, 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 a second hobby or whatever it is and we think that is the thing that's going to fulfill my life, that's not the case at all. And next, the question I have is, well, how do we make sense of suffering in our lives even when we're living a life of obedience? This entire passage that we read is fascinating to me because it's a description of Jesus and the type of life that he has called into. He has a singular purpose to become the savior of the entire world. And yet, like in my mind, being more of a, a optimistic person, like if I was going to describe the prophecy of the savior of the, of the entire world coming, I'd be like, oh, he has a purpose and he's going to be awesome. People are going to love him. People are going to worship him. They're going to follow him. They're going to, you know, they're going to emulate him. Like, they're going to, you know, crown him. All, you know, like, you, you would think that. And, and all that's true. But the, the author uh, uh, highlights the negative side of things. The fact that he has no majestic form that we would look onto him. That he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. That he would be rejected by the very people he has come to save that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The fact that Jesus Christ, a man, the Son of God, who would live his life according to the calling that God the Father had given to him, that his life would be filled with pain and trials and suffering, is an indicator to us that the presence of pain and suffering and trials in our life does not mean that we are not living according to God's purpose. I think many of us, we are so allergic to, to failure and to pain and, and that we, we elevate success so much that at any signs of hardship and, and trials and pain, we think, oh, I just wanna give up or maybe this is not where God wants me to be. Right, the famous uh, deep philosophical movie, Talladega Nights, if you ain't first, you're last. Right? If you ain't first or last, and that's kind of the, the idea that we have. That if our lives are not filled with success and joy, that perhaps we're on the wrong road. But what we read in this passage is that that is not the case with Jesus, and that is not the case with us. That what we must realize is that the absence of pain and suffering does not mean that we are living for our purpose. And likewise, the presence of pain and suffering does not mean that we are living according to a wrong purpose. Now, this realization came to me during my short-term mission trip this month. Uh, for those that uh, were praying for me, thank you very much. I was able to go uh, to Southeast Asia, and it was a, a very invigorating trip because, you know, number one, uh, I haven't been on a mission trip in over 10 years. Um, I was able to go uh, to visit missionaries that were from my previous church, uh, so that was also a, a, a another bonus. Uh, but it was a great reminder that God was able to minister to me during this time when, you know, I'm just really kind of thinking through my, my own life and purpose and meaning. Now, one of the greatest reminders was um, these missionaries, uh, they are called to a very specific part of the world. 
to minister to a very specific people group. And, and during our times together, I was able to kind of ask them about, you know, their, their difficulties and their joys that they're going through. And, and one of the biggest difficulties that they went through was that in October of 2022, uh, one of their teammates passed away. Uh, as the team leader of their team, uh, you know, they are in charge of the physical and spiritual well-being of their team members. And, and they recently added a, a young female, a recent college grad to their team. And, you know, and, 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 and they described her as someone who understood the, her purpose in life. That she really understood the meaning of what it means to live for Christ and to die as gain. And, and uh, you know, she became ill. They didn't know exactly what was happening with her. The, the rest of the team, they were all recovering from COVID, so they were physically weak. And, and, and uh, this young teammate, uh, she was ill, and they had to carry her, her, uh, her like, unconscious body, you know, down the steps while they were physically ailing. And, you know, they, they live in a part of the world where it's not completely rural, but the, the medical, you know, is not that great, so they had to wait for a flight to Singapore. They had to go, the, and, and unfortunately, at a very young age, she passed away. A daughter of missionaries, someone who desired to share the gospel with people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and yet at such a young age, um, because of, they believe it was meningitis, we don't know exactly, they didn't do an autopsy, but she, she passed. And I asked him, like, how can you still be on the field with such a traumatic experience that you guys went through. And they told me, if suffering and pain was an indicator that we should leave the field, then we would have left a long time ago. And I was blown away by that because here I am living in the greatest state of the United States. You know, I've, I've traveled, like, California is the best. <laughs> Weather, food, you know except for the traffic, but even then, that's kind of okay. It's, it's the greatest place to live. It's so comfortable, right? You have all these different types of food everywhere. You have, all, you know, like the beach, the mountain. Like, we can go surfing, and then we can go to Lake Tahoe, and then we can easily drive to Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why I said Las Vegas, but, you know, <laughs> like, there's so many, so many comforts here. And yet, the very moment life gets a little hard, the very moment suffering enters into our lives, the very moment things get difficult, I, I start questioning, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to be here? Because we've bought into the lie that living according to our purpose means that our life is easy and that our life is comfortable. But as Christians, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, the reality is, is that living in obedience might be perhaps the most difficult thing of our lives. That living according to the will of God for us might be filled with heartache, with pain, with tribulation, with difficulty. Some of you are going through that very season in your life. And perhaps you are asking that very question, is this where God wants us to be? Is this where I'm supposed to be in my life? And I can confidently say that I believe in a sovereign God who knows all things who loves us and deeply cares for us and desires us to continue to live in obedience to him despite the world telling us that we don't have to go through such things. So lastly, what does this all mean? Well, what can we apply? What can we take in application to this? And I believe as Christians, we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. 
Now, this is, it seems like a very gloomy message on a gloomy day, right? But this is the reality in which we are called. Apostle Paul is, is, is the author of the majority of the New Testament. He is uh, someone who has received his calling by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and he understood and was able to make sense of the suffering in his life. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he writes this. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know Jesus intimately requires living in such a way where we will experience the suffering and pains of life that comes when we live in obedience to God. Paul was able to make sense of his sufferings as he understood that the aim of his life was not to suffer, but the aim of his life was to become more Christ-like in the midst of suffering that was inevitable. And the more radically he lived in obedience to the calling that God had for his life, the more trials and suffering he would have to endure. Now, at the time that Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, uh, he was suffering a two-front attack. He was suffering from the loss of his freedom and persecution from, from the Roman Empire as he's under arrest, even though he did not break any laws. And he's also suffering from the chastisement and the ridicule and the critique of fellow believers in Jesus Christ. So in, in his obedience as, as, as a calling, as a missionary and evangelist, what we see is that Apostle Paul is very firmly rooted in understanding the calling that God had for his life. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He is a man who can see in the perspective that even his false imprisonment was so that his calling to be an evangelist to Gentiles would be fulfilled. He sees his imprisonment in this prison as an opportunity for more Gentiles to understand and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of us, we do not have that type of fortitude. Right? At, at, at any moment where we feel like we are victims of injustice, we, we just shut down or we get angry and, and, and we don't think about the possibilities and the opportunities that God places in front of us. And yet here is Apostle Paul making sense of his suffering in light of his calling and purpose to share the good news. Not only that, in obedience to his calling, he's suffering attacks from his fellow Christians. Right, Philippians chapter 1.15, he says this, Some indeed pre preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." What was happening is that there was actually a group of Christians who saw Apostle Paul's imprisonment as a possible sign that he is not an apostle. That they saw Apostle Paul's imprisonment as a possible sign that maybe he is living in sin. And in their own ambition to make a name for themselves, they start preaching Christ to hurt Paul. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like. My guess is that they probably used Paul as some sort of example of what not to do while elevating their own ministry 
perhaps they were criticizing Apostle Paul uh, and, and thinking that their calling was greater than Apostle Paul's calling, right? And, and, and think about it. What, what, is, what is the thing that hurts us the most, right? The, the biggest lie that I was ever told growing up was sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's completely opposite. Bones heal, right? The trauma of hurtful words said by fellow friends or, or church members or, or colleagues, that stays with you for a long time, right? Do you ever have that moment where you're just like, you come back, you like think of the perfect comeback to someone that insulted you like 15 years later? Man, like that's one of the main reasons why I want a time machine, just so I could go back in time and rehearse like a comeback, you know, because like it would be so satisfying, right? But that, that's, that's the pain that we endure from, from people. But yet Apostle Paul understands his purpose, that he is called not to be the only and main preacher of the gospel, but that he is one of them. And that even though there's fellow Christians who might be doing ministry to spite him, that he understands, whether in pretense or in truth, that Christ is preached. So for practical application's sake, what are some things that we can understand about purpose in life and the suffering that ultimately follows? Number one, do not avoid the calling in your life to avoid potential discomfort and suffering. Do not avoid the calling that God has for you in your life to avoid potential discomfort and suffering. And, and I don't know, and here's the thing, there's a difference between God's revealed will and God's secret will, right? There's plenty of things that God reveals in his will. Uh, there's specific wills and, and, and things that he wants in, in our individual lives that's not gonna be revealed to us in scripture. That's not gonna be revealed to us in an audible voice. That's something that you have to decipher. But there are moments in your lives, and I've experienced this, where I knew that God was calling me to do specific things. It wasn't like an audible word, but it was a gut feeling that I had. And it's so easy for us to say, you know what? That road looks tough. I'm going to go the other way. Right? Because it sometimes it makes sense, right? Why, why take the road uh, with the most suffering and the most obstacles? Why not choose the path of least resistance? Like, if I had it my way for my kids, I want their lives to be this as easy as possible. But when that happens, what we raise are spoiled kids who cannot be independent or think for themselves. There are callings that God has for you that when you look at it, might seem like it doesn't make sense. And I say, head towards that. Second, we must ask the question, uh, and this is something that I was talking with the missionaries that I met with, and I talked about their kids and how difficult it is to raise kids on the mission field. And they said, you know, we, ha we ask ourselves three questions. Uh, what, what should our kids endure? What can they endure? And what shouldn't they endure? And I think these are very wise questions that we should ask ourselves as we seek to live a life of purpose. What should we endure? What are things that we should struggle with? What are things that we can endure? Things that may not seem pleasant, but hey, we can actually go through it for the sake of uh, blessing somebody else. And what is it that we can't endure? And, and the Bible is very clear that God will not put us in a situation that we can't handle. 
So we already know that everything that comes our way, that we can handle it. Then the mentality that we must ask and the question that we must have is, what should we endure for the glory of God, for the encouragement of those around us? What can we endure for the glory of God and for the encouragement of those around us? And instead of seeing the, the existence of suffering and difficulty in our lives as, as a sign that maybe God is displeased with us or as a sign that our life sucks and see it as opportunities for us to minister to others and opportunities to really glorify God. I think that is something that is very important for us. For me, and I'll be very frank, the thing that I don't want to endure, and I told you I was very... I'm, lately being very antisocial, but the thing I don't want to endure is just the re relational issues that can occur while living life and doing ministry. Why? Why do I have to go through that? Why do I even want to go through that? I, I can just be at home, and, and now with technology, we, you know, we can order everything online. We, don't have, we literally don't have to interact with people at all. You know, we can just stream everything. We, we can, we, you know, like, we can Zoom any, every meeting, but but that's not what we are called to. The very calling that God has for us is emulating Jesus, his entrance into this world as a human being. Right? That's the season that we're celebrating now. Lastly, what are things that no one else wants to do that God is bringing to your attention? What are things that no one wants to do that God is bringing to your attention? I think one of the greatest parts of ministering to others is thinking through the things that no one wants to do. The fact that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. I don't want to wash anyone's feet. Right? The fact that he would die on the cross. I don't want to die for anyone. Except for, I don't even want to die for myself. The more I think about it. I want someone else to die for me. I don't want to die for myself. What are other things that no one else wants to do? Right? Practically speaking, that might be you know, in your workplace, maybe even in your relationships, even in your marriage. What are the things that you don't want to do? Even with your kids, what are the things you don't want to do that God is placing in your heart? Because it is through those things that we become more and more like Christ, and living in that obedience bring us, brings us to an intimate relationship with Him. I hope that this gives us a better understanding that our purpose in life is not always butterflies and roses. The purpose that God has called for us, perhaps sometimes, is to emulate the suffering and the trials that he has gone through. But ultimately, it is for our good to become more and more like him. Let's pray.